0: Six, you say, well, Pastor Russ, what's the benefit of this message to me? I'm not going to be a deacon, so how can I, uh, what can I gain from the text? Well, remember, a deacon is someone who's assigned to a position of service. But the title of this morning's message is actually Servant Leaders, and I'll, I'll tell you why. A deacon is not just a servant, but a deacon is a servant who is leading other servants. A deacon is one who stands up and says, if you want to serve, follow me. If you want to serve, I'll show you the way. If you want to serve, I'll show you how. Deacons are not just people uh, you go to for service. You are go, you, they are people you go to to serve with. And this final text that I'm going to be looking at today, in fact, two texts, Acts, and we'll also look at the book of James, is going to show us what it's going to look like to be a deacon here at Meriden Hills Baptist Church. We talked on our first message about the the hands of a deacon and, and the things that deacons will need to do and the kind of attitude that a deacon would need to have. Last message, we talked about the qualifications of a deacon that God sets forth. If they're going to be servant leaders, if they're going to be someone that the church is going to look to for service, then they cannot be distracting with their lifestyle, with their testimony. They cannot distract from the kingdom of God. You don't want to have a servant when you see them serving. All you can see is the mess in their life. All you can see is the bad choices and the downward spiral of self-destruction that distracts from what God is trying to do through their service. So there are qualifications for a deacon that a deacon is to be blameless, that not perfect, but someone when you see their life, they don't have any glaring issues that keep you from seeing Christ through them. Now, someone had asked, uh, what does that mean? You know, can, do, if I can't be a deacon, can I still serve? Of course you can. You've been serving in this church for years, and we have not had deacons. Just because we have deacons doesn't mean they're the only ones serving, and it doesn't mean you can no longer serve. It just means now we will have two men who are qualified that will oversee the service projects of Meriden Hills Baptist Church. In the past, it's been mostly me. In the past, it's been Pastor John and Pastor Ethan, the pastors that we've had previous. And it's not that the pastors stop serving because of deacons, but in Acts chapter uh, 6, let's take a look now, verse number 1, we find a dilemma that the apostles are confronted with. In those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. Now, the Grecians were, of course, Greeks. They were Christians who were not Jew. Uh, Now, they they might have had some Jewish relatives. They might have been, you might say, Samaritan, part Jew, part Greek, but they were not full Jewish, and therefore, they were not called a Hebrew. And the Grecians, the Greeks, the non-Hebrews, were under the impression that there was favoritism going on in the church. Now, maybe they were under that impression because that was what was happening. The Bible doesn't actually qualify or clarify for us if indeed racism or favoritism was playing a part in their experience. But regardless of whether it was happening or not, they thought it was happening. These Grecians didn't outrightly call the apostles racist. They didn't call the Hebrews racist. But they said, why is it that our widows, Greek widows, aren't cared for like the Hebrew widows? neglected in the daily ministration. You might say, what exactly is the daily ministration? Well, later in the text, we find that the apostles referred to the daily ministration as serving tables. It seems that the church was taking care of their uh, afflicted and, and their poor by daily serving them food. That at least one meal a day, you could go to a central location and the church of Jerusalem would feed you. But that required a lot of effort. It required a lot of preparation to daily set up tables, prepare the food, serve the food, clean the tables, and then get ready for the next day. That is a full-time job to be feeding what was likely hundreds of people, if not well over a thousand. You say, Pastor us, where are you getting those numbers? Well, in the book of Acts, we find that from the beginning, the church of Jerusalem was growing by thousands, 5,000 here, 3,000 there. On more than one occasion, thousands of people coming to saving faith and joining the church of Jerusalem. This church was definitely a mega church. Now, this mega church did not all meet in one central location like they do today. You talk about a mega church today, and you find... But there is usually one massive building and thousands of people in that room Maybe having more than one service. Some churches, three services, but one building. Now, very recently, there have been some churches have been trying out a new phenomenon called church campuses. And they, they have a main building and other campuses where people meet, and they basically stream in the service like you're watching online at home or those of you that have done that, except you go to a building and watch the service with other people in that building. In Jerusalem, neither of those things was the case. In Jerusalem, they were meeting in houses. Why? Well, for a practical reason, there wasn't buildings large enough or available to the church of Jerusalem where 10,000 plus people could meet. Rome wasn't going to let them meet in any of their buildings, and people didn't own those kinds of massive spaces back then. And so they would break up into smaller groups and meet in houses, but they would all call themselves one church. It wasn't Peter's church over here and John's church over there and Thomas's church up the road. No, they were all one church meeting in different locations, but they would come together for the greater good. The greater good of what? The greater good of serving the community. These house churches consider themselves one church in faith and in action, although it was likely they were separate in worship. They did not all get together in a field and worship 10,000 voices strong. There'd be 20 in this house and maybe 100 in that house, possibly 150 in the other house, worshiping individually, which is why the book of Acts can tell us that the church was meeting literally every day. That does not mean every Christian was going to church every day. They had a job. Many of them were farmers. They couldn't walk away from their fields and go to church only. They would starve to death. It was not that every believer was going to a worship service every day. It was that any day of the week, you could worship somewhere. Any day of the week, you could go to a house and hear the preaching of the Word of God from the apostles and the disciples. I would imagine some Christians did go multiple times a day. I would also imagine there was Christians 2,000 years ago, just as there are Christians today, that chose to go only one day. Did their attendance make them a better Christian when they went two or three times a day than the one who went one time a week? Did a a Christian who even went to more than one house in a day make them a better Christian than the one who did not go more than one day or more than once a week? No, let me explain something to you. What you know doesn't make you more successful. Knowledge does not bring success. How many times have you made a stupid decision and someone said, why did you do that? And you're like, you know what? I knew what I should have done, and I didn't do it, and I don't know why I didn't do it. But it was not due to a lack of knowledge. Your destruction was due to your choices, not due to what you knew. Going to church gives you the opportunity to be encouraged with corporate worship. A body of believers lifting up their voices together, and for many in this room, myself included, that is an awesome experience. I love that part about the service, where I get to worship alongside you. I'm not worshiping you, and you're not worshiping me, but we together are worshiping God. That's an amazing experience. I love that. That alone is a good reason to go to church, but for many in this room, you go to church for a different reason. You want to hear God speak to you through truth, You want to know what this book has to say and how it applies to you, and you go to a worship service for that. Now, some of you go to more than one worship service. You go to a midweek Bible study. You come to this one Wednesday night. Some of you come to the life groups that we offer in the morning, the women's Bible study, the men's Bible study, the the mixed group here in the sanctuary at 10 o'clock. We offer more opportunities to hear the truth than just the 11 o'clock service, and many of you take advantage of that, but that doesn't make you better than the ones who don't. It just means you might know a little more. The real question is, what are you doing with what you know? Not how much you know. Don't impress me with the amount of knowledge you have. Impress me with what you do with that knowledge. There were some that would have gone to church every day. There were some that would not have. What we do find from the first century church, at least in Jerusalem, was a church of thousands of people who acted on what they knew. We find in the book of Acts, they're selling their properties. They're taking large amounts of money, giving it to the church of Jerusalem under the care of the apostles to redistribute to the community for situations like this so that the widows and the orphans could be fed every day. I started the message by talking about the work involved. I didn't mention the cost involved. Can you imagine how much it would cost to feed every day hundreds, if not over a thousand people every day? That's a lot of money. Who paid for that? Christians paid for that. Now, here's the danger of someone who serves. Someone who serves says, you know what, I don't need to cover the cost, I'm paying for it with my service. Here's the danger of someone who gives money. Someone who gives money says, I don't need to serve. I gave money. That's sufficient. Now, in a perfect world, that's actually not a bad thing. Some serve. Some pay. They all do their part. Here's how it plays out, though, in the human condition. Those who are serving look at those who are not serving and saying, why don't they ever help? here we are moving chairs, here we are serving tables, here we are serving food, and they never help. What's wrong with them? And then those in this group, for some reason or another, maybe they assume, maybe they know something I don't know, and they say, those people over there, they don't give any money to the church. They never donate, they never tithe, they never really sacrifice financially to see the church successful. If it wasn't for me, there wouldn't be food on the table. If it wasn't for me, we wouldn't have tables. Now, in God's church, every part of the body has a part to play. And some are really good at some things and not so good at other things. Do what you're good at and stop judging those who aren't good at what you are. We should all be serving in a way, but that doesn't mean we're all serving in the exact same way. Deacons are unique, though, because deacons are men who need to be able to do whatever is required. A deacon cannot say, I'm not good at that, so count me out. A deacon cannot say, well, I tithe, so I don't need to serve. Or I serve, therefore I don't need to tithe. A deacon needs to be a man who is blameless. A man that when the church sees them, they see God's reflection through them. And judgment does not come easily or quickly on a deacon because there is very little with which to judge. That is a high calling, and that is a difficult calling. What I find in a lot of churches are the pastors, if they have the opportunity to bring on deacons, because most don't. Most show up at churches where the deacons are already well-established and they had no say in who the deacons were. But if they do call the deacons, the pastors are calling the businessmen to be deacons. The pastors are finding out who pays the most tithe and they ask those men to be the deacons. Except these men, although they may be wealthy and they although they may be good at finances and although they may be good at structuring a company, they aren't necessarily humble servants. And when you put these men in charge of servant leadership, what they do is they don't serve, they just take charge. What happens are... You end up with a bunch of churches where the deacons are taking charge, not serving. They forget the servant part and embrace the leadership part. And these pastors have caused their own self-destruction. You find a lot of churches without pastors doing the same thing. We don't have a pastor, but we got a bunch of men who are at least deacons, so who has the best business mind among us? Let's put them as deacons, except these men with business minds are used to supervising and bossing people around and telling everyone else what to do. They don't do it themselves, and many of them have never done it themselves. Just because you're a good boss doesn't mean you're a good worker. Just because you can tell someone to work doesn't mean you know what kind of work they are doing or how to do the work they are doing. You might be good at managing people, but you're not good at serving people. A deacon is more than just a leader. A deacon is not a boss. A deacon is not a manager. A deacon is a servant that leads other servants. And a deacon is a servant that says, I can lead because I know the work you're doing. I know how to do the work you're doing. I enjoy doing the work you're doing, and I will join you in the work you're doing. I will lead with you. Not over you. And there are very few churches with deacons like that. And I've said for years that Meriden Hills is better off with no deacons than the wrong deacons. And for years, that is exactly how we've operated. With no deacons. But as I look in the room now, and there are many, many, multiple families who are not here today for various reasons. Men that are not here and men that are here there are plenty of qualified men who can be servant leaders. God has provided Meriden Hills for the first time, in my opinion, in the history since I've been here. Qualified men who can fulfill the role of deacon and do it well. And that is where we're at today. Some of you have already nominated some deacons. You have the rest of this month to continue the nominations. You can do so by sending me a text or talking with me And then we're going to vote on our deacons in September. I'm looking for two qualified men. Two qualified men who will accomplish and oversee and serve with one of our two teams. Instead of calling them a deacon board, a deacon group, or a deacon committee, I've decided to give them a different name, a name that matches better what it is exactly they'll be doing. Two points to this morning's message on servant leaders, and each point tells us about the team that the deacons will be overseeing. Number one is the task team, and number two is the care team. Two teams, one deacon serving with and over each team. Let's talk about the task team. You're already in Acts chapter 6. We looked at verse 1. Let's continue on now with the uh, verse 2. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we... Apostles, disciples, should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now the apostles were not demeaning this work. They were not saying, this is below us. Keep in mind, the apostles for three years have been with Christ, have been wandering the wilderness with Christ, have been serving food to those who've joined them. The apostles have done demeaning tasks. Many of the apostles were fishermen. You talk about demeaning tasks, you know, smelly fish and and cutting them open and gutting them. These guys are used to hard work. This is not the problem. Priorities are the problem. The apostle said, look, for us to serve tables, we are capable of doing that. We are willing of doing that. We've done that. But to serve tables, we cannot study the word. Remember, these apostles have only been under Christ for three years. There is much they do not know. You might say, they haven't even graduated college yet. These are young men, not necessarily young in physical body, but young in the faith. Not as mature as you would like them to be. They know that. They recognize that. And they say, for us to be the kind of leaders you need, we need to be in the word of God. We need to study scripture so we can hand to you truth that will help change your life. But if we're serving tables, we cannot invest in you spiritually. As a pastor, God has blessed me. I I have had a lot of knowledge in my uh, past. I've graduated high school. I graduated college. I had a graduate degree. I'm starting a doctoral program this coming year. So I have plenty of education. I don't need to be only in the word of God all the time. I've talked to men. I've talked to pastors who have said they spend all week studying for their message on Sunday. And I'm thinking, how is that possible? I mean, is this six hours a day? Every day, five days, that's all you do? I mean, that must be a profound message if that's all you do all week. But then, do you only preach once? And how can you spend a whole week's amount of time on one message and get anything else done? I don't need that much time preparing my messages. And I'm able to do other things. But the problem is this church has continued to grow, and and this church has grown past even my ability to both prepare spiritually— for Sunday messages, and be there for you throughout the week. And it's grown obvious to me over the last few months where on multiple occasions I have failed as a pastor. On more than one occasion, I have not been there for someone who needed me. I was already heading towards getting deacons, but God just confirmed, Russ, you might be a little late, actually. You might have should have gotten deacons you know, last year or the beginning of this year because I failed some families in this room i fail failed some families that are watching online, and I know that to my shame. I know that. And I'm now at a point of Acts chapter 6, verse 2, that for me to be there for you more than I am, I would have to leave what is more important. And although I don't need to spend all week on one message, I do need to be in this book. And I do need to be doing other things that are of, of a spiritual focus and priority. And for me to be there more for you, I'd have to leave those things. And that's not healthy for this church. Let's look to verse 3. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over you the business. What business? The business of being a deacon. The word deacon is not mentioned in this text. This is the very beginning of the church. We find that the, the position of deacon is, is better established later on in church history. Later on in one of the epistles we find uh, where the Apostle Paul lays out for us the qualifications of a deacon. But this is very early on. The Apostles recognized the need for a deacon, didn't really know what to call them yet, didn't really lay out all the qualifications, but knew this. They had to be men you could trust and men with high character and men willing to serve, which are in the qualifications Of a deacon. Well, the church chooses seven men. Verse six, they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. When God's church is served with love, God's church grows. When God's church expects only one man to do all the service, Inevitably, the church will shrink to the ability of that one man. I think I've discovered the max of my ability. The max of my ability was about the size of this congregation around five months ago. That was about the max of my ability as one man that I could reach. In the last five months, more people have been coming. Over maxed. And if you expect me to be there for everyone in this congregation, then some of you have to leave. Because I can't do it. And that's not the answer, is it? God's church should not grow to the point of one man. God's church should grow to the point of God's family. And God's family is not one man. (laughs) And that is the purpose of deacons. So God's church can continue growing past the ability of one man. Please do not be offended in the future when a deacon visits you and not me. Please do not be offended when a deacon serves your family and it's not me because this church is growing past the ability of one man. That's how it should look. I will love you always and I will do my best to connect with this church to the best of my ability. But that does not mean I can be all things to everyone in this room. That isn't possible. But two or three men joining me, we can. And when this church continues to grow, we'll add a third deacon. And as it grows past that, we'll add a fourth deacon. At some point, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, at some point this church will grow to a point where I believe it's not healthy for it to continue growing as one church, And we'll have a conversation, if God continues to bless, on starting a new church, a sister church, a church that partners with us, we do things together, but has their own leadership team, their own pastor, their own family. And you might say, become relatives, close family members in the faith here in the community. I have no desire ever to be a pastor of a thousand plus church. For many reasons, I'm not going to get into today, but I do not see that in the future of Meriden Hills. We will grow to a point someday where God will say, all right, Russ, find a leadership team and have some members start a new church in the area. What a beautiful thing. Point number one, the task team. Let's talk about what that looks like for a deacon and what that will look like for the families of this church uh, as they are served by the deacon staff. Letter A, tasks left undone distract from the main goal. When you came in this morning, did you like the chairs? Did you like, this? Did you like the, the, the flooring? Did you like the paint? Did you like the stain? Did you like everything you saw? You did, because it was upgraded. Beautiful, right? Now, you would have been fine. Many of you in this room would have been fine if the sanctuary remained the same as it has been. Why? Because you've learned to love the people rather than that rolling, stained, blue carpet that we had. You overlooked the rolling, blue, stained carpet because you loved the people and you loved what God was doing here. You overlooked that. That is to your maturity and to your honor, you were able to see past that. Did you know not everyone can do that? Did you know there are people that it is too much for them to look past those distractions? They think things like, well, if their carpet looks like that, then they must not really care about the building. And if they don't care about the building, do they really care about the things of God? They, they think like that. Well, if they can't keep their carpet from being stained, how can they take care of my kid in children's church? I mean, they they make all these connections that may or may not be there. Essentially, it just becomes a distraction. See, a distraction doesn't actually have to be accurate. It just needs to distract. We had a lot of people that came in to eliminate some distractions in this room. And now you've got a, a room which is mostly, mostly devoid of distractions. Mostly. And yet, that took a lot of effort. I had to work a lot this week with people and on my own to make that happen. I really couldn't do much else this week to make this happen. You know what I've told my staff? That one of the worst things you can do is require something to go through me because I will usually be the weak point. I have so much going on in my life that if you're waiting for me to do something, you'll probably be waiting longer than you should. Now, this room was a priority for me, so I put everything else aside this week, and I made this happen with people I could not have done on my own, but I cannot keep doing that because this week I had to put aside other things that could have been done and should have been done. So this could be done. Tasks left undone cause distraction from the main goal. What is the main goal of Meriden Hills Baptist Church? The glory of God and the souls of men. That is our main goal. That's what you might call our mission. What a shame if a simple task that could be done distracted from God's glory. What a shame if a simple task that if it was accomplished would do great things, but because it was not distracted from the souls of men. Tasks need to be done. The floor needs to be vacuumed. The lawn needs to be mowed. Walls need to be painted. Chairs need to be cleaned or replaced. Tasks need to be done. And a lot of people say, you know what? I'm not a task person I'm a people person. Like, you give me a task, I have no interest. I'm not willing just to do tasks. You let me connect with people, I'm a relationship guy. Like, I do relationships. Let me do relationships. Here's the problem. The tasks don't get done. The people aren't there. The people aren't there. You have no relationships. Someone has to do the tasks. The widows and the orphans don't show up to eat if there's no food. And if they do show up to eat, they won't come back if the food isn't prepared properly, if the tables aren't served, or if they're mistreated while they're there. Tasks need to be done so we can accomplish our main goal. And deacons, deacons are the ones called to those tasks. That's why one of our teams is a task team. The deacon who oversees that, they will do their best to ensure that there are no distractions from the main goal at our festivals. No distractions from the main goal at our picnics. No distractions from the main goal at our worship services. They will oversee the projects and the tasks to ensure that God receives glory and that we continue seeking the souls of men. Letter B, the best tasks are those done for people. Those of you in this room that say, well, I'm a people person, not a task person. You need to change your mindset about how you're looking at this. Stop looking at the task as just a job and recognize you're doing the job for people. You're doing the job so that there will be people. You're doing the job so that the people will return. Tasks, the best ones, are done for people. I will not ask deacons to do tasks for me. Your job will not be to make my life easier. That is not what it's about. You are not servants of Pastor Russ. I'm not going to have you come mow my lawn at my house. I'm not going to have you clean my bathrooms. I'm not going to have you take my clothes to the, to, the, to the shop to get ironed and steamed and all that. No, your job as a deacon will not be to serve Pastor Russ. I promise you that. Your tasks will be serve God's kingdom, God's church, of which I am part, yes, but I will not be prominent in those tasks. If I'm asking the deacon and his team to do a task, it will be for the benefit of this church. And if you're a people person, then you can do a task for the people that you love. Letter C. The church does not focus on events, but it does does use events to focus on people. As a church, I'm not all about events. For me, events uh, only have value when it's valuable to the people of which we're doing the event for. I'm not looking to do events for numbers. I'm not looking to do events to put on Facebook and take some great pictures and say, look at, look at us. Look what we're doing. We're so amazing. We have these awesome events. I have no interest in that at all. I have no desire to be a legacy in my own mind. I have no desire to be a legend in this community. I, that is of little consequence to me. I am happy to continue being unknown. I am happy if the community only knew about Meriden Hills but did not know the name of the pastor. That's fine with me. I am happy for people to not know Meriden Hills, but only know the Savior, Jesus Christ. That's fine with me. Our events are not for the sake of an event. It's not for the sake of a photo op. It's not for the sake of social media fame. Our events are for the people that we're trying to reach, both the saved and the unsaved. Reaching the saved, do you think that these widows and these orphans who were coming to these meals were only unsaved? No, most if not all of them were saved, but they were still being served. It's not that you serve someone when they're unsaved, and when they get saved, say, all right, now no more service. Get in line and start serving. No, it doesn't work that way. Christians can be served, too. Christians should be served, too. In fact, I would dare say you should serve Christians with more love and more willingness than unsaved. Why? Because Christians are family. The unsaved, you want to bring them into the family. The saved are already your family. Do not ignore them once they become your family. Embrace them once they become your family. Serve them with a deeper love, not a more shallow love. The deacon who is over the task team will be given the responsibility of ensuring that our festivals, our events, our services that we do for this church and this community are done without distraction. So when people show up, people can see Christ and not the things that are missing. The task team. That is what you might call the dirty jobs. It's pulling things out of the shed and bringing them to the festivals. It's packing up the canopies and putting them in the trucks and bringing them back. It's putting things away. It's cleaning things. It's cleaning off the tables. And you say, Pastor Russ, how can one man do this? He cannot, and that's why it's called a task team. Just because you're not a deacon doesn't mean you can't serve this church. doesn't mean you can't serve in in what you might say the capacity of a deacon without being an actual deacon because the capacity of a deacon is just someone who serves. And the deacon will put together a team of people who want to serve. And that deacon will show them what it looks like by serving with them. And then number two, the care team. Let's go to James chapter one, verse 27. Pure religion. And undefiled before God and the Father is this: to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. You notice what that verse does not say. Pure religion is to attend as many services as you can. Pure religion is to go to every worship service if the doors are open. You are there. Pure religion is to read the Bible every day. Interesting. Many pastors would tell you that if you're not reading the Bible every day then you're not close to Christ. I would tell you this. If you're not applying the Bible every day, you're not close to Christ. Let, let's just be transparent here. There is so much information you know about scripture, honestly. You could stop reading it for a month and be closer to Christ if you just started doing every day with all the knowledge that you've gathered over the years of reading the Bible, over the years of going to church, just stop reading your Bible for a month and start doing it every day. And at the end of that month, you will be closer to Christ. Because we're back to what I said earlier. More knowledge doesn't make you a better Christian. It's the application of the knowledge. Stop thinking that reading the Bible is the application of the Bible. No, it's not. The application of the Bible is your interpersonal relationship the application of the Bible is your worship with Christ. I'm not saying don't do your devotions. I'm not saying don't read the Bible. I'm saying it's more valuable to follow it than to read it. And some in this room have only been reading it and considering yourself to be okay, and you're not. Pure religion and undefiled is not to read the Bible. It doesn't say that here. It's not to give more money or to give any money. It is to what? Visit the widows on the fatherless, to visit them. Not just to care about them, but to care for them. To be there for them. In this culture, at this time, the widow and the fatherless were destitute. They had no government programs to assist them. There was no place they could go to get uh, benefits and state funding to feed their family, to cover the rent of their home. The widowless... Um, the widows and the fatherless were generally out in the streets begging, and if they didn't get enough through begging, they starved to death. During times of famine, they were the first to go. Hard to beg from people who have very little themselves, and the widows and the fatherless died first. It's a tragic time of human history to be a widow or an orphan. And God says, you want to reflect me best? Care for them not about them for them you watch a commercial they're really good at it a lot of them especially the animal ones that get you to cry when you see the hurt puppy and you care about hurt puppies and it makes a tear come down your eye but caring about the hurt puppy doesn't help that puppy does it caring for the puppy is when you actually go down to the shelter and say i will adopt this puppy or saying, i can't adopt so i'll give money so someone else can adopt that's caring for the puppy And a lot of you care about people. I know that you do. I see it when I preach, when truth is given. I see the look in your eyes. You care about people. It's time that we cared for people. And we need a deacon who can care for people in ways I can no longer care for people because I'm only one man. We need a deacon who can care for people in this church that is growing past my ability. The care team. And that deacon needs a team of people who will care for people with the deacon. Letter A. Many people want our compassion. The afflicted need our compassion. Those who are afflicted emotionally, spiritually, physically. Today, widows and orphans are cared for in ways that they never could have imagined 2,000 years ago. It does not mean we ignore them. It does not mean we don't care for them. But I think the application for today is not just widows only or orphans only. It would be whoever is in your community today that is what you might call helpless, going through extreme affliction and doesn't have someone there for them. We've got some of those in our church. We've got many of them in the community. A deacon's first priority is to care for the afflicted in the church and then lead the church as we care for the afflicted in the community. But first priority, the church family. If you only care about people before they're saved and you lose compassion for them after they're saved, this team is not for you. This team is for people who love Christians. They don't love the idea of Christians. They love Christians. They don't care about Christians. They want to care for Christians. The best of my ability, I've been trying to care for Christians in our church, sending them meals or having someone do that. My ability to visit them is not nearly what it should be. This deacon and their team, when someone has been sick and house bound for a few days, will not just send a meal. They will bring the meal. They even heat it up. They even put it on the table and sit down with them for a little bit and pray over them because the best I could do is call Uber Eats and say it's on the way. And that's good for me to do that. But this church is past that point. That's no longer enough. This church needs a team of people who will care for one another. The Bible commands that. The Bible says to admonish one another. Oh, we're really good at that, right? We're really good at admonishing each other. That is a command, and we should be doing that when necessary, with love, by the way. But it is part of the Christian family. You don't let a family member get away with open public sin without addressing it. We're really good at the admonishing, but the Bible also says to exhort one another. And that word exhort has the idea of encouraging towards success, encouraging back on the path of Christ to comfort one another. That has nothing to do with exhortation. That has nothing to do with admonishing. That has nothing to do with correction. It is purely, I am here, I love you, and I'm not going anywhere. We need people who can keep their mouth shut and their arms open. And if your mouth has to be moving while your arms are open, you probably shouldn't be on the care team. Join the task team. You can talk all you want as you move those tents. <laughs> the care team needs people who can hug, in silence, who can care for you, not just about you? And I'm not enough. It cannot be only me. Letter B: You cannot care from afar. That's essentially what I've been doing for this church as it's grown past my capacity, caring from afar. And I've hurt some of you by doing that, I know. I've hurt some of those watching online by caring from afar, I know that. Church, this is not how it should look. This is not how God intends for you to be hurt because the church grows past my ability. God has a plan. God gave us a plan. Let's follow the plan. And the plan is not Russ. The plan is us us. Join the team. Care for each other. I guarantee you, when you start to care for each other, these seats will all be filled. They're already filling up. They're filling up at a pretty fast rate with me caring from afar. Can you imagine what will happen when you care right next to them? When you do that, we'll have to make some drastic changes pretty fast. That's what happened in Acts. When that deacon, that first deacon team of seven men was set up, the church continued growing exponentially because they didn't just rely on the apostles only. Letter C and we're done. It is almost always inconvenient to care for the afflicted. If you're on the care team, you're going to get a call when you're tired. You're going to get a call when you're hungry. You're going to get a call right before you sit down for dinner. You're going to get a call at 11 o'clock at night, 1 o'clock at night, 3 a.m., you're going to get a call. You're going to get a call when you're at work. You literally can't leave work, so now you're making plans that as soon as you leave work before going home, you've got to make a stop before going home. Almost always, caring for the afflicted is an inconvenience. The moment they recognize that they are an inconvenience to you, is the moment you lose the opportunity to care for them. Now, I'm just going to say it out loud, right? I'm going to say the quiet part out loud. It is inconvenient. Don't make it inconvenient. Don't show it as an inconvenience. If you're accepting this call, you are accepting the inconvenience, and you're not going to whine about it later. You're not going to complain about it later. You know what you're getting yourself into by joining the care team. The care team is a team of inconvenience. Let's be honest. The task team, it's scheduled events. Like it's, on, it's going to be on your calendar. You're going to know what you're doing days in advance, weeks in advance, sometimes months in advance. Like You're going to know, all right, three months down the road, I'm going to be at the church at 8 a.m. We're going to get things set up. You're going to know way in advance. The task team is not really an inconvenience. It's just a lot of tasks to eliminate distractions so we can reach people. But then once we reach people, we got to care for people. And that is inconvenient. And that's the care team and inconvenience. It requires patience. It requires selflessness. It requires love. And if you lack even one of those three things, join the task team. If you got all three, the care team needs you. This church needs you. How about it, men? Are there two men in this room? I'm not looking for a raise of hands. We're not voting on you today. But are there two men in this room who say, I could lead one of those teams? Not by bossing people around. Not in a supervisory role. I could lead one of those teams by showing them how it looks. I can do that. I can do tasks with a good attitude and do them well so the distractions are gone. I can do that. And I can do it for the right reason, so we can reach people. Oh, I can care for people. I do care for people. And I can show others how that looks. And I can accept the inconvenience because I love people. If you could bow your heads and close your eyes, please. I'm going to ask Tony, if you don't mind getting your guitar, you can play through a song of your choice. Thank you. As Tony's playing, I'm going to ask all of you to consider the message this morning. Although we're looking for two deacons, I'm looking for two servant leaders, but then once we find them, we'll be looking for a team of people to join those servant leaders. And that could be anyone in this room. In fact, I'm going to allow even non-members to join the task team. You've been visiting for a while, and you love this church. You're not ready to be a member, but you still want to serve. Oh, you can join the task team. Give that deacon your number. Give them your name. They'll call you. We will be happy to let you move things for us. Anyone in this room can join the task team. The care team, you have to be a member. The care team will require a little bit more of you. But all in this room have an opportunity to serve in one of the two capacities I gave today. And so as you're considering men... If you're willing to be a servant leader and show this church what it looks like, I'd like for the church to consider if they're willing to follow a man and to serve on one of these teams. As Tony plays through a song, I'd like you to pray silently and ask God to show you very clearly if this is for you. And then I'll close in prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you for the hearts you've touched. I know that you have. I know there are men and women both in this room considering how they might serve Meriden Hills and the Meriden community through this church. I pray you'd give them the courage to say yes to your leading. Give them the clarity that it is you. And I pray that when that commitment is made, it would not be broken. I ask that you would grow this church not just in numbers. We care little for numbers, but we care for the the people those numbers represent. And I pray that the people would find growth in their lives as you bring these teams together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I uh, ended a little early. I'd like to discuss a couple of things with you folks before we dismiss. First of all, I'd like to let you know, my wife and I, along with the pastoral staff, all of us will not be here next Sunday. There are two marriage conferences, two marriage retreats that Meriden Hills is hosting, and my wife will be going on both of them as the lead pastor. My wife will be the ones teaching and hosting both of the marriage retreats or marriage cruises. One is, I know, isn't it a shame i got to suffer for Jesus on not one cruise, but two cruises. You guys really are cruel to me to make me do this, but I'm going to do it because I love you. So my wife and I are going on... (laughs) I thought it was funnier than you guys thought. Maybe because I'm going. I don't know. My wife and I are going on the first one this weekend. We're leaving Saturday. Pastor John.